to the Dark Academicals, a podcast where we delve into the mythos of dark academia one book at a time. I'm Sarah Purnell. And I'm Sophie Waters. And this week we're looking at The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde, which is our dark academia adjacent text for this season. Described as both philosophical fiction and decadent literature, Oscar Wilde's Dorian Gray is a shining example of late Victorian Gothic. Throughout the novel, we watch the beautiful and intense protagonist struggle with his own sense of conscience and sin. Led on by the influence of his friends, Dorian finally succumbs to an insufferable ennui and his tortured descent is made complete by his questionable choices and unforgivable actions. A read that is both cerebral and tragically romantic, Dorian Gray deserves its place on the shelf next to the best and most beguiling of classic literature. So I love The Picture of Dorian Gray. I've read it twice before, I've studied it twice before, but it was completely new to you, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm a Dorian Gray first timer. Yeah, and you liked it. I did like it. I liked it a lot more than I thought I was. I was really worried because of all all the hype. If you can call a yeah. classic book as having hype because it's a classic I for a reason. But... <laughs> <laughs> but there are specific classics that have like that cult following, aren't there? Yeah. And I think this is definitely one of them. And for good reason. Yes. So I guess we should look at what makes The Picture of Dorian Gray a Dark Academia title, if it is at all. Because obviously we're looking at this this title from, you know, a slightly different angle because it's not traditionally classed as a Dark Academia novel. It's a sensationalist novel, it's a gothic novel. But I think there is a real connection there. Yeah. Which is why I volunteered it for for this um for the adjacent episode. So we are gonna look at how how it connects to the novel. Yeah, I think that's the um fun thing about these adjacent titles is they're not they're obviously not going to be dark academia in the sense that we are looking at it. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like in, in the same way yeah, that the secret history is obviously dark academia, it's the granddaddy of dark mm-hmm. academia. But a yeah. title like the Dory, like a picture of Dorian Gray, has kind of informed a lot of literature that's come after it. Yeah, it's 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 a legacy kind of novel, isn't it? There are so many novels that seem to have sprung from it, that draw from it, and I think because it is that melding of genres, isn't it? Yeah. Because I know, like, I've studied it twice and both times I've studied it under kind of the the lens of the gothic. And also, um, if we, I can't remember what the actual term is, but it's that, um, oh God, what's it called? When, like, there's the line of what's socially acceptable, morally acceptable... And you go over it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a word and it was in the name of that module. I can't. Who knows? But my brain has melted. My apologies. Yeah, Maybe we should just make a point saying that we are currently recording this during a heat wave. Um, yes. And so our, our brains have had to melted. turn the fans off. <laughs> <laughs> our microphones are too sensitive. We can't have the fans on. So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, good luck to us, quite frankly. <laughs> right, let's get going. 
So our first tenet of Dark Academia that kind of underpins Dark Academia is the higher education setting, often set on campus and usually elite or exclusive in some way. And straight off the bat, that is a no. No. (laughs) It's it's set in London, um, mostly between the homes of Dorian and his friends. Yeah. Mostly, isn't it? So it'll be Dorian's, Henry's and Basil's, really. Yeah, and then, like, wider circle of friends, isn't it? There's a duchess that they visit quite a lot. Oh, yeah. Um, mm. And the theatre. And the theatre. There yeah. is definitely, like, a studious element, though, to it. They're all kind of sort of exploring different kind of, like, themes. and. Yeah. I think Dorian especially like... seems to be quite, st- like, stuck on this kind of book that... Um, Henry yes. gives him that strange French novel. I don't think it ever says what it's called or anything, does it? <laughs> but it's kind of the novel that Dorian kind of blames his life on. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, this is the book that caused my descent, you know, into sin and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and we do get a pretty extensive description of the book, don't we? Yeah. And how attached Dorian is to it and the ideas that it, kind of gives him about how to live yeah i mean he buys it he doesn't he buy like several copies and has them rebound in different colors so that he can pick a pick whichever color fits his mood at the time yeah (laughs) i think that also links back to his like his studies of i can never say this right asceticism no asceticism is that what you're trying to say yeah i can spell it but i can't say it yeah, I think it's a set. <laughs> I really can't say it. <laughs> Asceticism. Hold on. <laughs> She's a googling. She is. She is. Asceticism. Yeah. Because I think he even like names that, doesn't it, as something that he is exploring, something that he buys into, and he kind of. There's that whole really long chapter Mm. where he goes on and on and on about the book and all of the things that he's basically pillaged from colonised countries, like the art and the music, musical instruments. And the jewels, and it goes on about perfume. Yeah. It is just a whole chapter of excess. Yeah. Under the guise of, of, you know, doing it for the aesthetics. Yeah. It's, it's quite an interesting chapter. And I think that kind of links into, like, because our, our normal route through, like, a preoccupation with a study would be something classical. It would be Latin, Greek, literature, philosophy. Whereas I think that preoccupation is the arts. Yeah. And art, isn't it, in this in this novel? And I think that's across the board for Dorian's kind of mini society within aristocratic london yeah i think yeah he it's this kind of idea of almost like how a person can become art isn't it yeah and that's what he kind of aspires to isn't it Mm. and that's almost what he's he's doing and wishing for the portrait to take on his aging he wants to be the art doesn't he yeah he doesn't want him everything that's you know that he sees is perfect by himself frozen in a painting that can't 
that can't be used anymore. That said, though, there is a lot of um, links to what we would consider like classical studies. So they often reference the Greeks, they reference Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, like literature figures in quite heavily. Philosophy, there's a lot of not necessarily like ancient philosophy or like, um, you know, like the beginnings of philosophy, but they are definitely tackling some big moral and philosophical questions. Oh, absolutely. And I think that also links back to like his his studying because they are an intellectual set. Yeah. They spend their days reading and following whims and, you know, ordering books from abroad because they don't have a job. <laughs> they don't have anything else to fill their time. So they can just run with it. And there is that, that intellectual vein running through all of them. Even Henry, mm. who is kind of dismissive of a lot of the kind of insular things. Like he's very materialistic. He is, but, but I, f- he's... I feel like with Henry, I mean, aside from being a very interesting character, he's almost... He, he's struck upon a certain like philosophical way of being and that's just the line that he's going to take regardless. So basically, yeah. if it doesn't please him, it doesn't serve him. He's not about it. Yeah, definitely. He's a fast, fascinating character and a fantastic character, mm. but a horrible person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we will definitely talk about Lord Henry Watton um, in, in depth a little bit later on because there's, there's so much to say <laughs> about Henry. <laughs> so next up, we have Old Gothic Architecture. And this one isn't as explicit, but it's, if you know London, yeah, it's written into London. It is. You know? I, think, I think the only place that you get that sense of, like, the gothic from the setting would be in the room where he keeps the portrait. Mm. Yeah, the old school room that hasn't yeah. been touched in five years. It's a locked door. It's, things draped. The old furniture draped. It's where things just get shoved. Yeah. <laughs> and hidden. And it's also where he locks that part of himself off, isn't it? Mm. Like childhood Dorian. But what I find interesting, I think, is like that sense of the the elevated, the gothic, the fantastical. There's kind of a sharp point. There's this whole thing of like when Dorian travels across London from West London to East London where he commits his sinful acts, he kind of leaves that behind, doesn't he? Yeah. It's ramshackle houses and opium dens, dens? Opium dens um, in the East End. It's a really stark contrast of setting under this kind of generally grimy, <laughs> dark sense of London in the 18... 1890s or was it the 1870s yeah. well late 1890s 1890s, I think. yeah yeah there's definitely a dark moody a haunting vibe across this even just being with dorian yeah <laughs> who is very insular isn't he like mm. and the way he looks upon life even though he's all kind of you know go and get his pleasure in whatever form that takes at whatever cost there's still that undercurrent to it, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, it's a very strange framing, I find, because you don't 
Dorian isn't really your focus for the first few chapters. Like he is part mm. of the story. He's an integral part of the story, but you're not really, yeah. you're not like sitting on his shoulder until like further on in. And even then you're very closed off as a reader, I think. Yeah. I think that's part of like, there's something Henry discusses about when Basil kind of tells Henry off for this, this new Dorian and, and Henry kind of goes, no, this is the real Dorian. Mm. And I think when that kind of deal is struck and the portrait starts to take on the sin and the ageing and Dorian begins to just act on his desires and impulses with no fear of consequences, I think that's when you kind of come closer to Dorian. Hmm. And I wonder if that was like a, a strategic thing of, you know, we're not with Dorian because that's not the real Dorian. But then even when, you know... He's acting on his basest desires. Perhaps, you know, that's closer to Dorian. But is that really truly what Dorian is? Or is it he just still under someone else's influence? Maybe. I just feel like you never get like a true kind of read of what it is. Other than at first he wants to stay young and beautiful forever. Like he doesn't want to get old. But you never really get a sense of like what he wants out of life like where where he's going Mm. where he's heading yeah um but obviously because he gets so wrapped up in what's happening with him and the portrait and everything but there's no there's no room for i just think sometimes there is no room for a reader for the reader in his journey okay yeah that's interesting i don't think it helps either that we skip so much of dorian's life yeah because we the novel starts when he's 20 and that's when he gets the portrait. And then we don't fully join Dorian again until he's 38. No, that's true. And by that point, he's he's in it, isn't he? Hmm. He's addicted to opium. <laughs> he visits questionable people in questionable places and resurfaces at strange times in the morning, you know. He's already at that point and we kind of missed the bit where he discovers his desires and yeah. impulses and starts to act on them we we miss the building of his relationship with all of these people that we meet at the end so yeah i guess i'm saying i agree with you <laughs> 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 we really are kept at a distance interesting something we're not distanced from murder murder <laughs> yeah it's quite a um it's quite a brutal murder on the page. It is. Your shocked message when you read it. <laughs> I was I did not see it coming at all. At all. It's very sudden, isn't it? Yeah. But it and also I think, feels kind I, of I inevitable. Think, yeah, I think so, but I think that's also like feeds into what I was saying about that that kind of distance you have as a reader, like you don't see it coming because you're just not privy to how we got where he is now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But it is. I think actually the worst bit for me reading it on the page is actually the descriptions of cleaning up (laughs) after the murder of Basil. Because so Basil comes to Dorian's. Oh, obviously, massive spoilers. We forgot spoiler warning. Um, Massive spoilers about this novel. I know it's only 200 years old, but... (laughs) over 200 years old even but we still wouldn't want you to get spoiled 
for a wonderful book so please go read it and then come back we'll be waiting so basil on the he's about to go to paris and he comes to dorian's because he wants to exhibit the portrait and also find out he has a question to ask dorian doesn't he doesn't he really want to know like how he stayed so young? Isn't he like just just tell me or Oh yeah. Isn't that, isn't that why? Oh no, that's Henry. That's I Henry. know that's Henry, isn't it? Yeah, no, he wants to know he's heard bad rumours about oh, yeah. um Dorian and he wants to know if they're true because he can't believe that they're true of this, you yeah. know this beautiful young boy that Basil still sees him as. And they kind of get into this discussion of like, well if you could see my soul Dorian's like well, let me show you. <laughs> <laughs> and then he ends up murdering him on the spot. And the yeah, I think that is the darkest bit the the blackmailing to get rid of the body, mm. and the way that that's done. I mean, it's, it's just very, very like it it switches to something very sinister very fast, doesn't it? When it's almost mm-hmm. like a a switches flips with Dorian. He's like, I'll show you, and you kind of know, don't you, from there that this is not going to go anywhere yeah. good. Definitely. I think it's that like, he doesn't have inhibitions anymore. Yeah. He just does what he wants and if there are consequences, he thinks about them later. Yeah. Or in in the case of like Basil, he tries very hard not to think about him. In that yeah. he even calls Basil's body a thing. Like once mm. once he's deceased, it's just the, th- the thing in the chair. Yeah. But that's what Henry taught him at the beginning with Sybil, isn't it? Yeah. It's in the past now. You don't have to worry about it. It's done. And it's like someone dying for the love of you is a beautiful thing. Yeah. I mean, there is a scary logic to what Henry says about the past. Like, you can see how someone could mm. be lured into that way of thinking. Because in the one, on oh, the one yeah. hand, it's helpful. Like, you know, if you experience something and it's like plaguing you, just leave it behind. But also, there's a healthier ways to do that than just shut it all mm-hmm. off and pretend nothing happened. Yeah. <laughs> it's like in the Vampire Diaries. You remember when they used to like flick their humanity switch? <laughs> yeah, it's basically Perfect. he's done that. <laughs> uh, I feel like Dorian would appreciate a uh, a comparison to the Vampire Diaries. <laughs> he'd he'd be a big fan of Damon. I reckon so. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah there is a hundred percent murder in this yeah there's also a suicide of sybil and there's a shooting there is a shooting yeah of sybil's brother and an attempted murder of dorian yeah <laughs> so it's all in here it's all there so hero worship of a particular figure or author and Quite often, this is either really obvious or really not obvious, inobvious, not obvious, subtle. subtle. Whereas I think for Dorian Gray, especially at first, he idolizes Henry in the sense of how yes. he lives his life, isn't he? It's it's all it's all linked back to Henry. And I think in turn, Henry comes to idolize Dorian in a way because Dorian has stayed so young and beautiful. Hmm. And Basil yeah, definitely, is clearly obsessed with him. Yeah. From the you beginning. <laughs> at the end with Henry, you definitely get that sense of like awe and wonder, don't you? Because Yeah. Doesn't doesn't Dorian play the piano 
for him or something. He does something anyway, and it's he does he's, something like that. He's, yeah, yeah, utterly enthralled, isn't he? Mm. There's definitely a lot of um, queer undertones with the relationship between those three. Yeah, I mean, there's queer undertones it's... like throughout the whole thing. Throughout, yeah. Literally, one of my notes is in all caps: queer. Everyone is queer. Yeah. And it's it's subtle, but it's not subtle. Yeah, I mean, if you if if you lived in a world where you're very like sheltered, where you're brought up in a very conservative way, that queer culture is not a thing that you're aware of, you probably would read this and you wouldn't you wouldn't notice. You wouldn't it. see it. But in 2022, if you're open to it, and if you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly, it's it's so obvious, especially with Basil yeah. in the beginning. Everything about the Baz- the way Basil talks to Dorian, talks about Dorian, and confesses to him. It's that that confession about um, the portrait, mm. and it's he's confessing about how much you know he likes and respects Dorian. But it's if you change a few words of that, and it's a very romantic confession of love yeah isn't it it's it's very very queer coded yeah i mean he always brings it back to like like his art so if i think if ever questioned Mm. on it he could be say i was talking about my art you know my art will never be the same again without this muse um yeah but no it's queer (laughs) yeah 100 percent. yeah (laughs) and then i mean even with like dorian even though dorian has the he falls in love with with women but never actually follows through with any kind of relationship with them instead he chooses to have these kind of close intense relationships with different men that then fall apart and we never we never really we're never really told why they fall apart i think at one point it's just described that they start to resent him for the fact that he doesn't age Mm. and it just it again it just feels like more like a relation, like a intimate relationship breakdown, rather than yeah, a friendship that's just kind of fallen by the Drifting. wayside. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So our next um, tenet dark academia is old money, which collides with new money or no money. This isn't really applicable to the to the picture of Dorian Gray, but like with the Great Gatsby. There's a real focus on wealth and excess yeah. and the privilege of that and the freedom and the kind of ability to consume art, to consume knowledge, to consume people, really. Not in a literal way. It doesn't go that far. Um, <laughs> but it, it gives them permission to use people however they see fit. Yeah. I mean, the only place that we seem to really see the um like the difference between like dorian obviously has a lot of money that's explained at the beginning Mm -hmm. is usually the women that he does become involved with are poor destitute from backgrounds that could never like entertain the idea of a gentleman like marrying into their family so obviously with sybil you see their family struggling and then Mm -hmm. later on there's the girl is she called hetty it's very yeah. brief. There's that that farm girl who he mm. kind of in his country uh, his country house. Yeah, 
Yeah, but I think, is it Henry that says that, you know, you've ruined her for men of her mm-hmm. station now because... She'll always yeah. want a gentleman. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. I think it's a really stark comparison between when we go inside Sybil's house as well yeah. compared to when we go inside Dorian's or Henry's or Basil's. Yeah. It's like everything that's kind of open to to the men is kind of closed off. And even the women, the rich women, like mm. the Duchess and stuff, although they have the money, it's still under the control of their husband. Yeah. And they're there's still always, very restricted. There's always talk of their husbands. There's always talk of, like, there's that one that's, like, married four times. Um, yeah. <laughs> I guess that is a, a standard of, you know, <laughs> being a woman, especially an upper-class woman in 1890, but... But it is an interesting comparison point there, Mm. that he deliberately avoids women of his own class. Yeah. I guess he wouldn't get away with it as thoroughly, would he? Because society would know about that relationship. He wouldn't be able to walk away. He would be obligated to stand by those commitments. Mm. That's why he always seems to enter these, whether, I mean, he protests that, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't entertain them, but he seems to enter these, like, almost will-they-won't-they they relationships with these married or widowed or older women of aristocracy because it it's yeah. not going to go anywhere, but he's kind of indulging in that fantasy, and I suppose that's kind of getting him into places that... I guess that could also be part of the, the queer coding, though. Yeah. If he doesn't actually want to be in a relationship with a woman... No. He All likes the idea, he, he likes the beauty the of cover. them, doesn't he? Yeah. He likes the, like, that's why he likes Sybil when she's acting, because she, she's playing romantic mm. parts, and he likes to experience the the very unreality of <laughs> of what it is to love a woman. He's into it. Yeah. But when it comes yeah, to definitely. what the reality of being with a woman is, he's really not into it. Like that whole scene after um, he goes to see mm. Sybil um, and she performs badly because she's just distracted by her love for Dorian. The way he shuts her down oh, is disgusting. unbelievably brutal. It gives me shivers every time. Because I think the scariest thing is that you could see that. Like, I don't think that's something restricted to 1890. <laughs> no. You know, like men have not improved in the last. I mean, I was going to say really. it's not it's not unsimilar to a guy meeting someone on a dating app. Um, you know, they're chatting; it's all very performative at that point. They meet up, and he goes, mm-hmm. "Oh, well, you're not like how you are on Tinder." Yeah. Um, exactly. Because she's actually a real person. <laughs> mm-hmm. God, it's depressing. But we we're going to talk about that a little bit more later. <laughs> okay so weather is a literary device there's no weather i don't know i think there is a bit of there's the fog there's the fog fog. and the mist i think it's a very important element to the story because there's this whole like murkiness to what what dorian and his friends are kind of indulging in and then the mist or the fog comes in and i think is it henry who 
says something about the illusion of something about the illusion of an attachment and how it's like a puts a oh, mist okay. over things. Uh-huh. That's interesting. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's also that I think most of the mist is when he's doing something naughty, isn't it? As well, when he goes off to the East End and is um yeah yeah it's foggy, isn't it? Because he can't see out the window. Mm. He's he's being shielded by the mist and by his you know to extrapolate that by his wealth by his status by his beauty yeah but also he uh you could also argue that he can't he's gone too far to see a clear path so he can't see any other possible okay. path yeah, he, can only, he can only keep plowing forward through that direction because he can't see any any other way that's true very true Weather, <laughs> but other than the mist, it's and always the fog weather and the if you look hard enough. Yeah, there's not really. It doesn't really play a part other than for the mist and the fog. So our final um, ten of dark academia that we're going to look at is underdeveloped social skills, or the protagonist is portrayed as an outsider. I think yes and no. Yeah, I I think we kind of at, at first with Dorian, he's not. He hasn't developed his full kind of persona yet. And he seems quite, not necessarily timid, but I don't know what the word is. He's not timid, but he's not, he's not quite yet realised his own potential, has he? Like what he can... No. I mean, he's young. Yeah. He's very innocent. Yeah. At the beginning, isn't he? But I think by the end, he's kind of going to the other end. That while he's still at the centre of his own teeny tiny little circle, in wider society, he is an outsider then. Because it says, like, uh, he turns up at the club and people leave. Um, people won't go to his parties or he won't be invited because they know about the dodgy stuff he's getting up to. Mm-hmm. And I think that puts him on the outside. But he's still very much at the centre of, you know. He's got too Henry, much money Basil. to be fully shunned, doesn't he? Really? Yeah, absolutely. He's too beautiful to not. He is. We never to not be though, admired and. Interestingly, we never really hear of him, kind of being pursued as a suitor. And again, I don't know if that's just no. part of the part of the kind of like queer reading of it, because he's never he's could be you know he, whether or not mothers kind of tried to chase him down at parties or not or whether after once we get to him at like 38 they've kind of blocked that one off because of all his dodgy dealings but now i've got that made i can't help but think that maybe part of that is deliberate the more he acts out the more he puts off the respectable mothers you know yeah no one's gonna want him for their daughter there would be someone there would be someone he's got enough money there's always someone (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's true who would just throw their daughter at him and say have this one that'll do yeah (laughs) oh I wrote down um, I've just scrolled down on my notes you know when you're talking about um, Shakespeare references I found a really direct one you know after he kills um, Basil and he looks at the portrait and his hand turns red and sticky and dripping Mm. Macbeth Macbeth Mm. Yeah, I was well chuffed when I <laughs> I made that connection. <laughs> and also, I think this might be stretching a little bit, but I feel like it 
overturns Keats is beauty is truth and truth is beauty. Yeah, I mean, there's, there is kind of like that kind of exploration of like a, of the romantics, isn't there? And what mm-hmm. they kind of stood for. This is almost like an antithesis to it. Yeah, because he only retains his beauty by denying and hiding the truth of yeah. him and his situation, you know. But he also wants the kind of... He still admires everything that Keats admired, mm. you know, in that outlook of everything is... I mean, you know, also just is like... worth everything for love, kind of. Mm. Despite, though, how awful a lot of the characters are and how just they would not be great company to keep in the sense of what you could end up being influenced to do and stuff like that but there's still just a small part of me that would just love to be like a late 1800s bloke a libertine just lots of money lots of privilege lots of art lots of books (laughs) Because there's no repercussions. No, exactly. <laughs> for anything that they do. So why not? <laughs> I mean, I'll probably skip the murder bit. i probably skip the... I mean, ideally, yeah. Yeah. I, think I don't really want to like... be addicted to opium. Either. I think I'd probably just like to be, like, melancholic and laying on a chaise long and <laughs> reading Keats and... Yeah. Having to flee to Italy for your health. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I feel under the weather. I must go to Tuscany. Just having some... be gone for three months. Yeah, really kind of close friendships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With beautiful people. Yeah. Yeah. What a life. <laughs> <laughs> right, so I think we're going to move on to criticisms of the novel. Mm. And we've got two major glaring horrendous ones. <laughs> yeah. Misogyny and anti-Semitism. So, which which one should we tackle first? <laughs> well, let's go for the first on the list. Let's go for misogyny. Lord Henry Wotton is literally one of the biggest misogynists I've read about in a very, very, very long time. He doesn't Some have much stuff. good to say about women, does he, at all? Some of it is truly shocking. Like, I mean, let's be honest, we've heard it all before, but it's still grim. Mm -hmm. And I can never decide with Henry whether partly, maybe partly he believes it, or the rest he's just doing it for effect and to cause a scene, or if he really genuinely does think like that, because... yeah. It's difficult with him, isn't it? Because he Mm. is an inflammatory character. Like He loves nothing more than to walk into a room, say something really shocking, and then go, what, what did I say? Just watch it fall apart. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He basically is a shit starer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Is what he is. (laughs) Yeah. There was a a quote that I literally, I actually saved because I was like, what the hell is this? My dear boy, no woman is a genius. Women are a decorative sex. They never have anything to say, but they say it charmingly. Women represent the triumph of matter over mind, just as men represent the triumph of mind over morals. (laughs) (laughs) 
but makes me want to punch things. <laughs> but at least, you know, it's not coming from Dorian, who is supposedly our like protagonist. It's coming from who is potentially the antagonist of the book. I think. I think you could. I mean, you could probably see Dorian as the antagonist as well. Yeah. He probably plays both sides, doesn't he? He's really? a hero, isn't he? Yeah, he's a. Yeah, but... yeah, that's a better way to describe it. But I, I think it, it would be more worrying if we were reading that kind of uh, perspective from mm. Dorian, whereas Henry. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to excuse it. Like it is utterly vile, but it's yeah. it's not coming from like the main, like, voice of the of the novel. Mm. It's coming from yeah. a character who is trying really hard to be con- contrary and just... Inflammatory. And shocking for the sake of being yeah. shocking. Because we see Dorian fall in love with... Well, fall in love, but like become kind of enamoured with several women. I don't think he ever really says anything awful about them does he add dorian himself no i don't think so i think the most horrible he is to a woman is when he kind of turns sybil down yeah but he, actions, he does argue actions do speak louder than words <laughs> <laughs> yeah in this instance they really do because you also yeah, you do I mean, see henry he is quite on the like he will say these awful things to dorian but then he's quite pleasant and um open and friendly with like the hosts the women yeah the women yeah that is true but i guess he has to be doesn't he to keep his place yeah there is a i think it's later on in the novel um after dorian's um killed basil and they're sitting at a party or whatever dorian's like not dorian um, Henry's like, I'm about to say something that might stop me from ever getting an invite again. <laughs> yeah. So he's very aware of the effect of, you know, what he says. I think his biggest um, mistake is seeing women as um, nothing more than what soci- the current society has placed them as. Like he refuses to yeah. see outside of that. Um, that box because it doesn't again it doesn't mm. serve him to see to see it in any other way yeah that's true i think um that's something i think the duchess mentions that at some point doesn't she something i don't think it's as open as that but it's kind of a hint towards you know like they have a role yeah they have a role to play they have a box to fit in you know mm but then I suppose Dorian as well, like he often describes women in a way that's not, it just kind of, again, it, it supports those stereotypes. Like he sees, often sees the women that he's in love with, he sees as these kind mm. of like delicate kind of flittering things. Like Sybil is, is in her scenes is, is described as almost like trembling with desire for, yeah. Dorian, it's really quite cringe. Is that, <laughs> yeah, it's that like childlike, virginial kind yeah. of yeah, ick. This kind of like ick. blushing bride to be like, yeah. ugh, ugh. <laughs> it's gross. I'm just trying to find the bit where Dorian 
slaps her, slaps her down. Not literally. Although that probably would have been less painful. Mm-hmm. I think okay. it just reinforces the idea that Dorian is the type of person to fall in love with an idea. Because that's essentially what he's done throughout yeah. the whole book, isn't 100%. it? 100%. And literally, after she gives her speech about, oh, you know, it was, you know, I can't mimic a passion that I do not feel. Because mm. she feels that for him. He literally, <laughs> he flung himself down on the sofa and turned away his face. You have killed my love. He <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. It's so dramatic. <laughs> you imagine someone did that to you? Like, you know, what? Oh. you've just killed mine. Don't worry. <laughs> well, the next line is she looked at him in wonder and laughed. <laughs> Good like, for her. So she thought it was a joke. <laughs> Good for her. <laughs> yeah, that the second she is an actual person, he's like, yes, you have killed my love. You used to stir my imagination. No, you don't even stir my curiosity. Ouch. You simply produce no effect. I loved you because you were marvellous, because you had genius and intellect, because you realised the dreams of great poets and gave shape and substance to the shadows of art. Basically, so it's, it's a- he, he got a boner watching her read the words of men. <laughs> <laughs> we read words yeah. written by men but as soon as she was using her own mind to say something romantic he's like ew no yeah basically she was a blank canvas he projected his idea was onto and the second she came to life no thanks <laughs> that's a really dodgy dodgy extended metaphor my apologies but yeah it's just not good you are shallow and stupid. My God, how mad I was to love you. I mean, again, so I'm not brutal. trying to defend 16, Henry, but, no. but at least Henry's kind of aware. Do you know what I mean? Whereas like Dorian's yeah. saying these things and later regret, well, he regrets how he treats her. He doesn't regret what he said. No, because he, he says, well, it's true. Yeah. Doesn't matter if it's true. You're not supposed <laughs> to say it. <laughs> and it is all about art to him. Without your art, you are nothing. How little you can know of love if you say it martial art. Hmm. And it, uh, also, Gross. it's like, you know what I was saying about how you never really kind of get a sense of what his like life ambitions are, like his goals, even just his short-term mm-hmm. goals. He obviously yeah, hasn't he thought through any, what his goals would be or like what a life would look like if he did marry Sybil. Like, he hasn't thought that through. No, no, that's true. I don't, But he does say at some point, doesn't he, that he never actually proposed to her. He never told her he loved her. But did he believe him? That sounds like gaslighting to me. <laughs> it does a bit, doesn't it? But of course, the men are going to agree, aren't they? Go, well, of course, of course. You know, <laughs> women just get carried away with these kind of yes, things. Yes, of course, old sport. They regularly... don't, don't worry about the silly woman. <laughs> regularly assume people are proposing without them saying the actual words. Happens all the time. I feel like I need to read more Oscar Wilde just to reassure myself that it wasn't Wilde's view. Yeah. Because <laughs> I really like <clears throat> Oscar Wilde. Yeah, me too. <laughs> like, I've read um, a bunch of his short stories on the importance of being earnest, but I can't think of... I can't think about the treatment of women in those. I think I'd have to read them again with that focus in mind. Yeah. <laughs> well, hmm. Moving on to anti-Semitism, I guess. Yeah. 
I did not remember this at all. And I don't know how, because it is awful. Yeah. I mean, and again, so I'm not, I'm not going to defend it, well. obviously, but it is, it is a sign of the times of when the, the book was written. It doesn't make it right and it doesn't make it okay. No, no, no. Um, but it does come from a time where it was totally okay to be an anti-Semite. Yeah. Like in society's eyes, yeah. like that was fine. Mm. Yeah. It's shocking though. I don't really know what to say about it. No. <laughs> I mean, I think probably the, wor- the worst and most obvious uh, instance of it, isn't it? There's a Jewish chap who is on the door of the theatre where Sybil works, isn't it? Yeah, the door manager. Yeah, he yeah. refers to him as the fat Jew, doesn't he? Mm. But yeah, there is a lot of yeah. like um anti-semitism there's a lot of kind mm. of uh where the characters are very act very distastefully to put it nicely towards people of color um, yes definitely the the i think the only um if you can even call it a positive because i think it's just a neutral comment is when i think there's like mention of some of the artwork that has come from what moors yep have done mm-hmm. or created yeah, doesn't he say about how, you know, um, he took some of, you know, the art and the musical instruments that had with that had um, kind of survived Western civilization. Yeah. Kind of encroaching on them and stuff like that. But he is very appreciative of their art. But again, that doesn't really say anything about how he would have treated the actual artists no. or musicians. Yeah, it's, it's very icky, honestly. I didn't know it was like a historical thing in that period. Mm. Was there like a specific, like, was um, it situational or was it just generalised I think anti-Semitism? I think it was just generalised. It was just like a, I think it just went hand in hand with the industrial kind of revolution and oh, okay. um, how a lot of like Jewish business owners were doing a lot better than their counterparts uh, okay. so yeah Standard and obviously jealousy and yeah and that just kept building and building until you know it comes to a head in the late 1930s so mm. gross god so gross unacceptable and not a fan yeah i just can't believe that i've studied it twice and that isn't something I remember it being discussed. Hmm. Does that say more about the institutions that you studied at? Or... <laughs> Possibly, yeah. Because even in like a discussion that's not it's like around the Gothic, it should still come up. It should still have been brought up. Yeah. Know? I mean, I studied um, The Merchant of Venice and the Jew of Malta, and obviously with mm. title like that, you can't not kind of discuss yeah, the handling yeah. of Jewish culture and Jewish people, but um, yeah, it's something I think that is peppered throughout a lot of kind of classical and um, you know, well, more well-known texts, but it's just not always necessarily the first thing that people point out. Mm. I feel like I need to go back and look at my notes now. <laughs> And have a look. <laughs> I found them when I was looking for my desk fan. <laughs> <laughs> but then I, 
I mean, you- I also not even sure. I mean, to us now, like things like the misogyny is like clear as day. But I think mm. if you were just like casually reading the book, you'd probably notice it. But unless you were kind of already tuned in to it would you necessarily yeah, it's a I bit guess. like the queer coding thing if you weren't already kind of aware and tuned into it would you notice it maybe yeah it's one of those things isn't it it's like you should be aware of it and you should be looking for those things at the same time god you shouldn't have to <laughs> yeah in in 2022 yeah so those are two major things that knocks this book from a five star to a four star for me yeah i agree could have done without could have done without those yeah i mean it wouldn't have it wouldn't have impacted the story at all to have taken those out it's not necessary is it no it could have discussed the position of women and the how women are used in the plot without being misogynist yeah and didn't have to be anti-semitic that's very true basically (laughs) especially it's it's not even not even a major character he's just just a passing character there's no need for it not that there ever is but (laughs) no it wasn't part of the plot i mean it's not no it's not a plot point no exactly it doesn't carry the plot forward you know if he was jewish or not it it just exactly yeah it's just disgusting I think it's time for some character analysis mm. for Lord Henry Watton. Lord I think Henry Watton. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, he's our victim. Very, well, I say jokingly, I was sort of joking at the time when I messaged you and I was like, Henry's the devil. Then I was like, hang on a minute. Henry might actually yeah. be the devil in this He book. might actually be, yeah. <laughs> He is the devil leading Dorian into hell, into sin, into the, you know, the dark of the East End. Mm. It's a literal descent. Because yeah. I wrote about this topic for my uh, <laughs> my first essay of my master's was on Dorian Gray and Dorian's descent. And it is a literal descent. The East End is physically lower than the West End geographically. Mm. It is a literal descent. And it's Henry that leads him that way. And it is described as this hellish, dark, sinful place, isn't it? Mm. So you were absolutely bang on the money, I think. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's just in the way that he acts. And like we said earlier, how he will... He's very suggestive and very persuasive. And he'll kind of plant an idea. Mm. And he's almost like... He's always gleeful when something that he's said yeah. has has stuck. He's like, "Oh, that's what you've decided to go with." Okay, okay, we like that. We can we yeah. can work with that. And then he'll run with it until it's kind of like taken root of itself, or someone will say to him, "That was really shocking what you said." And Henry will go, "Oh me, what did I say?" Like, he kind of like just playing with yeah, the, uh... or like just kind of shrugs off all kind of responsibility and knowledge of ever having Mm. put an idea into someone's head 
I mean, the amount of people that he picks up along the way, or like potentially you see him in a scene and he'll say something or he'll present an idea. Mm-hmm. And every time I think it's to hook Dorian more than anyone. But yeah. somebody will say, I'd really like to hear your thoughts on that sometime. You'll have to come over at some point. And it's like, how yeah. many other people has Henry kind of even just led astray a little bit with his yeah. ideas? So many. (laughs) I think that's quite a common um, portrayal of the devil in that period of literature, isn't it? That, like, the devil in disguise. Yeah. Or the temptation to sing the song. But we're not going to do that. Um, Yeah, I think it's quite written into, like, Victorian literature, isn't it? Yeah. That being led into sin and that unsuspecting person. It's just quite unusual for it to be a man. (laughs) <laughs> that's true <laughs> it's usually a woman yeah which you know gives the the novel a great standing point to be horrifically sexist <laughs> but, so i guess wild gets points on that one yeah <laughs> i i just i think he's such a clever character because he's, he's so a wonderful character even as you're reading him and you know he's awful and he's terrible but he's also very alluring to the even to the reader yeah he's very charismatic isn't he mm. it could very easily have been henry's novel yeah definitely because i bet he's got some stories <laughs> and that would have been an interesting perspective actually on what kind of he did to dorian yeah and others it would almost be like, yeah. to me, it would be almost like, you know, the song Sympathy for the Devil and how um, it kind of like is describing all the things that he's persuaded or things mm. that he's kind of been responsible for. But he wasn't really. He just kind of, you know, yeah. suggested and yeah, it'd be a bit like that, wouldn't it? Yeah, that'd be interesting. I think that'd kind of clash like the gothic novel with like a confessional novel. Mm. that would be very interesting if anyone wants to write that that would be great yeah I would love to read that you've got two instant readers here (laughs) (laughs) is there anything else you'd like to mention about the picture of Dorian Gray Hmm, I don't think so I thoroughly enjoyed it I listened to it on audiobook uh, because I was a very busy bee so two birds with one stone but the narration who is it just the narration? It is top notch. Russell Tovey. Oh, it's fantastic. Russell Tovey. It is brilliant. The voice for Henry and Basil, absolute perfection. Yeah. <laughs> See, I've read half and I listened to half. <laughs> and if you have an Audible subscription, it's free as part of your membership as well, yeah. which is a great bonus. It's a weirdly long audiobook for how short the book is. Yeah, I think I listened to it on like 1.25. I listened to it at 1.4. Because I usually listen on (laughs) 1.3. So I had to crank it up. (laughs) Yeah, I listened to it at 1.25 and I I didn't really notice. I didn't notice that it was like faster because I think it's very Mm. dramatised, isn't it? The reading of it. It's great. It's fantastic. I think... Russell Tovey, I don't know if you remember that old show about the ghost, the witch and the vampire that lived together. Oh, yeah. In like the early 2010s. I think he's the werewolf, isn't he? Oh, I don't know. Google. Now I'm like, uh, did I make that up or? 
being human, it is him. He was also in the History Boys. There you go. Love that movie. Russell Tovey trivia for you. Yeah, you're welcome. Freebie. (laughs) Right, well. Yeah. I suppose we should talk about what we're going to be doing next time. Yes, so our fifth... Is it our fifth? Are we nearly at the end of the season already? Yeah. Okay. So our fifth and second to last um, book of season two is going to be The Mary Shelley Club by Goldie Madavsky. When it comes to horror movies, the rules are clear. Avoid abandoned buildings, warehouses and cabins at all times. Stay together. Don't split up, not even just to check something out. If there's a murderer on the loose, do not make out with anyone. If only surviving in real life were this easy. New girl Rachel Chavez turns to horror movies for comfort, preferring stabby serial killers and homicidal dolls to the bored rich kids of Manhattan Prep, and to certain memories she'd prefer to keep buried. Then Rachel is recruited by the Mary Shelley Club, a mysterious society of students who orchestrate fear tests, elaborate pranks inspired by urban legends and movie tropes. At first, Rachel embraces the power that comes with reckless pranking. But as the fear tests escalate, the competition turns deadly and it's clear Rachel is playing a game she can't afford to lose. It sounds so fun. It does sound fun. I have reservations because <laughs> the first book of... Um, well, Golden Madavsky's first book and the first book I read of hers, Kill the Ball Band. No, <laughs> Kill the Boy Band. <laughs> the balls had nothing to do with it. Um, <laughs> had some serious fat phobia. Yeah, like real bad fat phobia. And I haven't read anything of her since, even though they all sound so fun and her writing is fun. But I just, it was atrocious. So all you'd have to do is a quick Google and it would come up. (laughs) It was widely discussed in the book community and it was was not good. So I'm hesitant, slightly annoyed I'm going to have to import the US hardback because it's not available on Kindle. No, and the paperback isn't out until the 22nd of August. (laughs) Yeah, but that's my issue. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, that will be our next episode. We hope you've enjoyed listening and we'd love to hear your thoughts on the picture of Dorian Gray. And we'll speak to you next time.